Schneider. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Show Bear Show. I'm really excited to have our next guest, Andrew Douglas, co-founder and CEO of Ciento. Very interesting topic about first responders and mental health. But I let Andrew introduce himself. Thanks for being on the Chabert Show and reaching out and uh, excited to have you. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on here. And I hope your, your guests can get something out of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to dive in first before I go into asking a lot of questions. I want to ask the first one, who is Andrew Douglas? You know, <laughs> I mean, this could be a crazy, crazy discussion, right? Like, I've had a lot of change here in the last couple of years, but I'll start. Um, so I'm Andrew Douglas. I was a firefighter paramedic in Washington state. And, you know, I started as a, a volunteer in 2005. And, you know, there was kind of this culture of like, your feelings don't matter, suck it up kind of thing. Right. And so I started out as an 18 year old kid who was super impressionable, learning that like my feelings don't matter. And so I bottled a lot of things up over the years, you know, from, Unfortunately, I've seen seen things that probably no human should. And at the same time, it really affected me. And in 2019, I I had a, I was at a fantasy draft party, which we still do that. We've been doing it for like 15 years or something like that. And, you know, I had been really like down and depressed and thinking of, of thoughts of suicide. And so I decided to leave because I was like, nobody here cares about me. Nobody notices. But I'm struggling, yet I'm not asking for help. And so I go home and grab my pistol that was unloaded. I, kept, I always kept my ammo separate. And somehow my wife heard me. It was like 11 o'clock. Somehow she heard me come in and she, thank God, interrupted that. And so I've struggled with PTSD. I mean, I still have my difficult times. And, you know, I went through this identity crisis and we can get into that more. And at the end of the day, you know, I want to end first responder and high stress professional suicides. And, wow. you know, as an individual, like I, I stand for compassion. And I think that's one thing we could all have more for each other. And I stand for, you know, well-being for myself and all others. And, you know, it's just crazy because the amount of you know, I personally have lost five friends to suicide and I lost one two months ago. And, you know, it's the statistics are crazy. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I can imagine this is a lot. I'm sorry for your loss for your friend, your most recent one. Uh, yeah. Sorry. You know, it's, a, it's emotional talking about it. And, um, yeah. and, and I, at I the same understand. time, it's important we talk about it because this is not just affecting firefighters, paramedics, police. I mean, I've just learned recently, this is affecting pilots, this is affecting doctors, this is affecting lawyers. So, you know, this is a way bigger problem I'm learning than what we have right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to actually dive into a lot of things as you brought up. Yeah. And I think we'll focus, first and foremost, I want to actually focus a little bit on the background about yourself and how you got into, you know, first responding and firefighter. You said you started at the volunteer in 2005. When did you get interested in, in you know, becoming a firefighter and paramedic? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, here's where old Andrew would be very tight-lipped and not say anything to you, right? So the reality is I had, uh, you know, difficulties as a child, like having my father in my life. And, you know, we were that like typical, stereotypical middle-class family. Everything's perfect, right? And it wasn't. And so 
that really affected me. And so when I was 16, I had to do a, a lesson for a class on like, hey, what do you want to do when you're older? So I did fire department and I found family there and connection. And so I was like, this is it. So I worked my butt off 18 years old, you know, how to grow up. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know how it is. You mentioned you knew a family there or you had somebody who was working there and you got interested because of that. Yeah. So it was a family friend. Since okay, I was okay. a kid, we would go to the University uh, of Washington football games. And okay. so I knew, knew him well. Yeah. Go dogs, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For college football season is coming about. Yeah. I know. And then, okay, you were 18. And then did you start at that point or how long did it take you basically to like jump into like the volunteering? Yeah. So, I mean, I jumped in like right away. Um, okay. Okay. And so like, basically you live in a fire station, right? And actually my buddy from the fire station, who's now a nurse, we were there at like 18 years old. We just started a podcast too. And, you know, it's, it was very fun at a young age. Is, and can you explain time, like the, the training process of becoming a firefighter? Because, you know, this is all very new to me and I'm assuming a lot of people who's listening and is going to be new, right? Yeah, for sure. And a lot of this is going to lead to like, why did you start, you know, your company, Ciento? But yeah, like, so like, what is like some training, some things you do? You said you're like, you live and breathe there. Do you have like a workout regimen? Is there like a meal regimen? Is there a, like a sleep regimen? Can everybody become a firefighter or not? How many, I'm asking a lot of these questions. How many actually firefighters and medics are there in America or in Seattle just alone? You know, this type of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll just touch how many people there are real quick and then we'll move on from that. But so right now in America... I mean, it's not the most accurate statistics because the data is not tracked as well, but there's about 6.8 million first responders. And that includes volunteers and as well as, as paid professionals. You know, it's a, a very highly competitive career to get into. You know, I, you have to test against thousands of people sometimes. And, you know, I'd always known I wanted to be a paramedic and I got the opportunity to buy a fire department to send me through paramedic school that I got hired at. And that was hell. It was fun, but it was hell because it's basically six days a week and you are either studying in the emergency room in the OR or in the in OR emer- uh, operating room. I'll speak in fire terms, right? In medical terms. So forgive me, but I'll try to do my best. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it was a lot. And then you're riding at the fire stations. And so you go through that and then you got to go through fire academy. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be a red knight from, I was a firefighter in Lakewood, Washington, and it's a tight knit group. You know, everybody's got to have the same color socks, the same, you know, uniform on, you know, same everything. They instill, you know, camaraderie early on. And awesome. And how big is that group that you're saying you build camaraderie that you became part of? Yeah, I mean, we had like 20 plus, but we lost a handful of people. You know, the reality is, is that it's it's definitely not for everybody, physically and mentally. So let's uh, get into that because I wanted to ask, and I want it to be the very dialogue here again, because there's, there's be a lot of people in tech who probably don't understand this space. Yeah, this is really fascinating. So what is like a day-to-day like for firefighters? Because a lot of which I've noticed is becoming more and more of a paramedic than like the fires, but mm-hmm. you know, fires are obviously picking up everywhere here in California. There's definitely a ton of fires the last five years. I could just name a bunch and you can see right now in the news, but I think is I don't want to go into the details of the specific fires. Just, you know, what is like the day-to-day entail for the role 
And is it like average? Is it moving around? So on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. It, like what's an average shift like for 24 hours kind of thing? Is that what you're looking for? I yeah. 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 Like what does a firefighter like focus on in that yeah. time? Okay, cool. So um, most important part of the day is 8 a.m. That's when everybody meets at the coffee table. We have a cup of coffee. As paramedics, we talk about like what we used on the rig and you have to check narcotics, stuff like that, right? So we do coffee for a while. And then typically it's like a morning, you know, two hours of working out. I'll be honest, I typically would use that time to do union work. And I really should have focused on my physical, <laughs> my physical. What health. is union work? So I was a uh, secretary treasurer for our, our union. So yeah, I mean, we had, I think we're over 200 firefighters. And so basically I did um, like disciplines and negotiations and stuff like that. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, then- so you run, we didn't, at my station, we didn't run calls until 6 p.m. Okay. And throughout the day you have like training and then you have, you know, like lunch is, is thrown in there and that's always done as a group. And so really like for us, like during the day, it was either training or resting because you're going to be up all night because we worked in a <laughs> a little bit of a rough area and it was quite the knife and gun, gun club. Okay. So the next point is like, uh, it's probably like you were mentioning, like probably a lot of the stuff you are dealing with, which is uh, from the PTSD side of things. And you don't have to go into too much details, but like, do you have any like stories, brief stories you can mention? Like, you know, what happened? You would go to like the situation, like a, someone called 911, you guys were there urgent for fire or anything like that. And, and then how often would that be? That's one. The second we like, at what point did you, as well as your peers start noticing, you know, your psychological, like when the, you were affected by the consistency of this and how high strut this is for you, you know, the emotions and, and all that. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I like to be raw and open right now with this topic because, you know, I hope that this can impact somebody and help them. And I really, you know, you see the amount of trauma you see um, of like, I mean, I'm not going to go into specifics on certain things, but it's like the things that no human being should ever see. And, you know, like I'll go into like one of my bad calls, you know, I had, I had a handful of calls that really bothered me. And this is one I've, I've been, you know, processed last year. And so it's so I feel comfortable talking about it, but yeah, we get called out to like a, it's like four in the morning, get called out to like a pediatric cardiac arrest. I just got hired at this fire department, right? I'm a brand new paramedic. I have a paramedic student with me and my kids in the NICU on a, what's called a CPAP machine. Cause he couldn't breathe on his own. And so I, I like show up there and like, we're in a rural area and like I, we show up and there's like roosters crowing and like, you know, the screams you hear from outside, like those are the things I can't describe that will forever stay with you. Okay. So you basically like had this 4am call. You said there's like, obviously something you don't want anybody to see and hear. Okay. So I guess, and I want to dive into like the next part is like, again, how frequent was this for you and others? Did you have the chance or anybody given like therapy or no, because you were mentioning before you had to suck it up and bottle it up and not deal with this. And then, yeah, like, when did you start seeing the signs besides obviously your own self, but like your, your friends and colleagues and peers dealing with this mental illness that became like, unfortunately, you know, the suicide rates that you were discussing earlier. 
Yeah, it depends on like where you're at. Like my first fire department was like more rural and small. You still see trauma. It's just not as frequent. I, I left that department to go to, I wanted to go to a, a more urban environment and be busier. And the downside of that is you see more trauma. Not only do you see more trauma, I think a lot of things we don't talk about is the amount of suffering you see on the streets. And for me, that that really hurt. Like I said earlier, compassion is really important to me. And like I treated everybody like my family. And to see these people suffering and nobody doing anything about it, like that takes a toll on you. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I was in native San Francisco for many years living there. And obviously there's a big discussion, especially in the California the West Coast in general, about what's going on with the folks who are unhoused with mental illness and, and substance and others. And I was part of a nonprofit. So I, I'm pretty familiar. My father is involved with that too. He's part of a nonprofit organization. That That's helps awesome. Them. Yeah. So it's great that you were, and you obviously everybody else was. Okay. So, and then what is the overall, like if you had to assess like this 6 million, as you mentioned, who are in 6.8 million, possibly first responders and paramedics and so forth, what would be the percentage who would probably in trauma and out of, if not just trauma, like in general, like would be having dealing with some sort of uh, uh, mental issue possibly. Yeah. So this is kind of, all this talk is like, you know, when in 2019, it was still really kind of hush hush. Like I had to go through a lawsuit to, to get my care covered. I mean, it was pretty obvious. I was a part of some pretty bad things. And before I started, I was fine. And, you know, the amount technically, if you want to look at studies, right? And don't quote me, right? I don't have the study and I can't reference it. So just bear that in mind. But I believe it was something like 40% of first responders have some form of either PTSD, depression, anxiety. And I can assure you that that number is a lot higher. And here's why I say that. You know, all those like homeless people you see in the streets in San Francisco, like the majority of those people that have a drug problem, I would bet that they have some form of underlying trauma that has not been dealt with. And that's also anecdotal for me, you know, because I, like I said, I like to talk to people in the back of the ambulance and like truly care about them. And so you learn about their stories. And so like firefighters like do maladaptive things too, right? Or, I mean, who has beers at like 8.15 and like you can't go to a, you know, a second alarm fire because you guys are drinking beers as a shift, like. It's not healthy. And so I would say that that number is way higher based on, you know, we have to, we, you know, men can't be weak, right? Like I've been shamed multiple times by women, you know, now that I like talk about my feelings more so than I did when I sucked it up. So. Yeah. And I think it's, this is all relative. Mental health is becoming more and more of a relative thing for everything. As you were mentioning different industries. I mean, look at like, you know, from professional leagues, like MBA with Kevin Love, opening up and discussing yeah. that. And then people are like, oh, you're, you're making tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. What do you want? Go play basketball. You know, that's a thing with him. And, and like, and that's at a high level stage too, to, I think first responders are different, absolutely a different level that people should be mindful of because the fact that you guys are on high alert all the time, dealing with people at the, you know, the most critical time of their lives possibly. So the, to me, you were saying you're being mindful. A lot of people should be understanding of this. So this yeah. is kind of leading me to like in Silicon Valley and startup world, you know, there's like you're, you're people want to solve a problem with a tech and platform, right? And I want to get into like Ciento, your yeah. startup. 
Can you explain when did you consider starting this? What are you trying to solve here? And who's your co-founder and, and so forth? Yeah, so I'm gonna I wanna close the loop real quick because you said something that was really impactful. And people are like, what the hell, Kevin Love? You make $10 million a year, or whatever, right? So the reality is, is that happiness is not found in anything except for in yourself. And I've had to like go through a lot to figure that out. And so I'm telling like your listeners right now, like no amount of money, no, you know, I thought stuff would make me happy when I was struggling. And now I look back and I realize that I had to find happiness in myself. So I wanted to close that loop. That was a really good point you made. And so I hope that can kind of change maybe some people's perspective on, you know, it doesn't matter if you make 10 million, you can still have depression, you can still have PTSD, you don't know what yeah. happened. And there's, you know? there's tons of pressure right now. I mean, you're talking about the last several years. I mean, I don't want to get into like the scope because everybody dealt with it. It's like with the reality of the pandemic and what has happened, you know, the lockdown, so forth. That's like a couple of discussions there. The other is like social media and tech, you know, like the pressure of just being somebody on a continuous basis and all this other stuff. There's a lot of noise and distractions. So like all of that definitely matters. And I can only imagine like being someone who's born and raised in that right now. And like, what is that for their personality and what they're dealing with? So I think it's all, all relative. And I think if you're, you're kind of ignorant, if you don't realize that. And again, I want to go back again, again it's re- related. And I'm really excited to hear about like, what does Ciento mean? And when did you start it? Who's your co-founder? Yeah, so Ciento means, it's a Spanish word that means I feel. And we came up with that word because both Jason, my co-founder, and I uh, met in Costa Rica. I think we, I told you about, your audience has, doesn't know this, but basically after I left and retired, I couldn't afford my mortgage or anything. So I, we sold everything and came down to Costa Rica and I went through an identity crisis. And, you know, Jason, you know, we've known each other for two years and he's an amazing just human being and so i was very open and where before i wasn't open with my friendships and said hey like straight up like hey i struggle right and so we were able to build a really strong bond and then one day i was having a a really hard time with depression and you know jay and i are drinking a beer at a friends and getting ready to play poker and i'm like jay because i'm trying to get into tech right like i want to i had started to teach myself to code because I was nice. waiting, waiting to get retraining. And so like, I went from like wanting to code to go to like cybersecurity, like this is during my identity crisis, like I knew I wanted to get into tech. And I'm like, Jay, I got it. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? And I'm like, I'm going to make an app that you can just express how you feel. And then the screen catches on fire. And that's like where the idea started, right? And so Jason's in the, you know, he works for a, a large a tech company and, you know, he works in like the business intelligence, machine learning, AI front. And so that got him thinking. And obviously, you know, as a startup, you're constantly pivoting just yeah. like we are going to eventually with these other markets that, that are out there that people need help. Did you create that app? Because and the reason why I bring it up is when I you know, I was talking to you before the podcast, like uh, as part of my career, I moved to San Francisco with some friends. We tried some mobile apps and this is yeah. like when the app store just got launched when Steve Jobs announced this. And uh, this is around like 2009. And one of the apps we created was early in the app store called Stress Relief. So the, Ooh, you know, the cool. downturn economy, we wanted people to be happy. So we, we actually filmed a person and basically said, okay, like a game, 
tap as fast as you can or scream as loud as you can to relieve your stress and make the person cry. <laughs> and then it looks really funny and everybody starts laughing like, okay, now I could go home and I, I don't have to worry about the stress I had at work, <laughs> for example. Apple actually never approved of this app. They never told us why. And, and Google didn't have the Android Play Store yet. So did you actually launch this app that you said you're going to like, you know, tell people tell their feelings and then it turns into fire or, or something or no? <laughs> yeah. So I personally didn't build it. I have to say like, and I, I'm a pretty humble person, but I'm pretty good at like connecting with human beings in general. And so I was very targeted in, in who I reached out to, to build our team. And so, you know, early on, we brought on a gentleman named Joey, who's a, a senior Flutter developer and software engineer. And so he, you know, I try to like be as hands off as I can when it comes to product. You know, I keep that for Jason and Joey and, and the rest of our team to kind of, you know, they see my vision and I give them feedback and connect them with end users and connect them with, you know, whoever they need. Like I view my my job as a CEO and founder is to, you know, and where is it product at? Is it do you have it live? Is it pending? Do you yeah. have like, uh, Yeah, we're in beta right now. And Okay. So, and is it gonna be online or is it gonna be mobile? Yeah, it's gonna be mobile right now. You know, obviously the nice thing with Flutter is you can go into a web app pretty easy. And right now we are just developing a mobile app. And here's why we're doing that. About 40% of my old fire department is less than three years experience. So now you got to think the average age is like 23 to 30 when you get hired. I would say maybe 25 to 30. Still, what generation is that? They have cell phones, right? So you can't change the old school mentality. And so you have an opportunity to impact these new first responders with what our platform is going to do. Okay. And so what is that? Yeah. So again, I talked about my feelings. And so, you know, two problems we face, the two big problems we face and that I personally experienced is the, uh, you know, stigma that surrounds mental health. I know that's like a hot topic word and everybody likes to use it. And it's real within certain industries for sure. And ours is one of those. And so I was so afraid to ask for help because I thought I was going to get fired. And so we're creating an anonymous based platform that allows users to express openly how they feel. And that was comes again for me, like this is, I'm, we're building what I want when I was struggling and then we'll iterate off of that. And will the platform uh, be like, like a social network or it would be like, what do you call it? Ephemeral one where you don't know who they are. They just share it and people will just kind of comment or would it be like, there's actually going to be professionals on the other side helping out. So it's more direct, like to a therapist or like, I'm, or you don't, you haven't shared that. publicly. Yeah. So I, I have like a crazy long-term vision and we can get into that if we have time. But for now, what we're focusing on is um, that to build, like you're saying, build a community is really important. And I've learned that throughout my recovery. And so we want people to be able to not only have that sense of community, um, that are other professionals, and we don't allow them to comment just because we we don't want any potential toxicity at this point. But the cool thing, you know, obviously AI is the hot topic, and we're not an AI company, but we utilize AI to, you know, get the underlying feelings from that post. And so it's been really powerful. You know, yesterday we had a beta tester post, you know, um, 
today I went to see a 15 year old kid who got hit by a train. It was the worst thing I've ever seen in my career. And, you know, I don't understand why these kids, you know, this happens to kids. And, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Yeah. I don't know, I have it memorized. Right. And like, that was super powerful. Cause it's like, that's exactly what I want. Get this off your chest early, start talking about it. And then what we're going to do and we're, I can't get too detailed because um, it's just some like IP and whatnot. But yeah, like you're saying, like it's uh, the other issue is resources. Like I utilized an uh, employee assistance program when I was suicidal and I waited on hold with my peer support team member for I don't know how long. And then the first therapist I got into a couple of weeks later, she cried at my first uh, therapy session from what I was upset about. and. So I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to work. I'm installing this therapist gal now. Like, what the hell? So, um, you know, eventually I found a gal that specializes in first responders specifically. And so that's kind of a thing, right? Like having these culturally competent first responders. And I don't know if anybody knows any, here's a quick plug. If anybody knows any politician that's listening to this, I think we need to create a scholarship fund for first responders to be able to go to school, to become social workers, therapists, and psychologists. And why I say that is because now we're adding people to the system that's already broken. And we are also providing our first responders with, you know, culturally competent providers. So, sorry, I had to plug that. That's cool. And I think you could probably just keep, uh, you know, that it'd be interesting if you could actually be, be part of your platform to do something like that. You can just make that yeah, announcement no, in, in, in the platform and in the community and even say, hey, we have a fund here. You know, for those who want to do it, we'll do the training. Uh, so that could be something. Uh, Ooh, that's a good you want to focus primarily on the key is obviously focusing on the first responders, getting their think, their emotions and their thoughts out as soon as possible. So with the time we have, I want to get into like two quick things. The first is, where is your startup at? What are you doing right now? The next stages? Are you looking to fundraise? How much are you looking to fundraise? And where is that going to go towards? And then, you know, where do you see this platform? You know, when do you plan to launch publicly? And, uh, you know, what are you looking for out of it? Like, let's say this, like, obviously this announcement of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, perfect timing, perfect timing. Go to market strategy, right? So we're launching in what we're hoping is the middle of September. Um, we already have contracts signed with, um, we are a B2B SaaS business model, right? So we're utilizing my connections to connect with fire departments and listen to their problems. And so we have had some really good interest early on and it's because we're, we want to do things a little bit differently in, in that, you know, the end user is everything to me. Like these are my brothers and sisters, right? So like for me, it's personal. And so I want to make sure like we actually solve this problem and nobody is focusing on crisis in our space. You know, our other competitors only focus on management and prevention. And so we want to be bold and think that we can end first responder suicides and high stress professionals. And so it's just personal, like I said, and, you know, we are actively fundraising and I say it's probably going to close. I don't know when this is going to be posted, but we're closing at the end of the month. Potentially we'll go into September, but I don't think we're going to need to. Okay. And then, uh, con- well, I don't want to jump to conclusions. Hopefully you close and you close what you're looking for. And then like, what's next? Like, w- what are you looking for with the funding? Cause there may be people listening who may be interested to reach out and say, Hey, we want to invest. That's one. The other is 
you know, where is that money going? Is it going to go to the product? Is it going to go through like more like sales channels, distribution? You know, what's next there? Yeah. So we're actively building out what we're calling Ciento Connect, right? And that's where we're heading. And that's that, that crisis piece we're going to solve. That's all I okay, can, I don't want to go too deep in that. So right now we're looking for somebody that like truly brings us value and we do have revenue coming in day one. So we're going to, that's going to help us continue to bootstrap. Right. And so, you know, we've been approached yesterday. We just had a emergency room doctor invest in us. And the reason why I did, cause he's like, I, this is a great idea. We could use this at the hospital for our staff. And I'm like, great. And he's like, I got some friends I'll introduce you to. So I'm like, perfect. And so there's got to be like this, again, this is personal. So I, I want somebody who invests in us that like believes in our vision and our mission and has the same values that we do as a company. And um, so I've had a lot of opportunity to meet amazing people that are interested. And so, yeah, that's kind of that's what it. we're looking for. That's awesome. And then like, I guess like maybe like a few last things to kind of wrap up the podcast. This has been really interesting, right? Uh, <laughs> What we is part, we can do a part two if you want? Yeah, eventually I, mean, I would price. love to. Like once the let's say the platform is live and you got some interesting yeah. like the use cases there. But like I wanted to ask is like you know what do you what's your end vision like would like to be in a you know like your grand vision, and then where do you see the future overall? Like you know like the good, the bad. Like what do you see like the rest of like twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four overall holistically? for yourself and just in general for like the global markets and so forth. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, if it's a fantasy world, right. I believe that we will go worldwide with this. I've already had a gal that's an ICU nurse in Australia message me. I've had somebody in England, obviously I speak Spanish. So a guy in Mexico messaged me. And so we want to go worldwide with this and the solutions that are out there right now are either old or not truly solving any problems. It's just throwing a bunch of more resources out there, which are great. Don't get me wrong. And like I said, we want to focus on crisis. And then just, I guess, to like kind of wrap up, I always ask like my speakers, like, where do you see the overall future? You know, like just holistically yourself, like the market, your company, and like, what are you you know, optimistic about? Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, they say I've learned because I like watch a million YC videos to learn because I knew nothing. And they say timing is really important. And, you know, there's an initiative done by the International Association of Fire Chiefs that was like to focus on mental health. People are talking about it. Maybe I went through my identity crisis at the right time. And we feel that that's the case. There's a lot of opportunity. The market's completely untouched. This is, I mean, there is people in our space and they're doing great things. We just feel we can do it better and we can do it differently. More importantly, that take a different approach based off of my experience. And we're finding that to be very successful. And I see us scaling out to hospitals, you know, go to, you know, pilots, lawyers, like anybody that healthcare, other healthcare providers that could potentially lose their license if they go and seek mental health care. Well, here's this anonymous based app. You can get something off your chest, see that other people are going through the same thing. And, you know, we'll connect you to your peers and to a professional. That's awesome. Well, I'm I'm really glad you, you know, reached out. I'm really glad to have you on the podcast. It's very different than what I'm have had. And hopefully, you know, those who are listening on the Shabir show and beyond, you know, really 
could connect with like Andrew and your story and beyond, basically the entire network of first responders and their mental health. So Andrew Douglas, thank you so much for being part of the Shaper Show and thank you everybody for listening in. Thank you so much.